Friends, let's, uh, having heard God's word read, let's bow our heads in prayer and let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for uh, what we have just heard, both in the kids' talk and also in the reading of your word. We thank you that there is the most remarkable miracle available in the gospel, uh, that sinful people uh, can enjoy friendship with the very Son of God. And uh, this is a great uh, act of wonder and grace Uh, for which we are so thankful, heavenly God. We are thankful that you accept us uh, today, that we belong to you as your family. Uh, And yet, Lord God, we we, we realize the uh, crucial importance of uh, us gathering to confess sin. Uh, And so we do that just now. We uh, we, uh, are guilty, Lord God, of taking our sin to lightly help us in this, but help us just now. Uh, Lord God, to confess it properly as a, a congregation to you. Uh, Lord, we love that portion in your word in Second Kings of Josiah, uh, the king who enacts so many uh, reforms uh, amongst the people of God, this king who uh, recognizes that he and the people are too immersed in the pagan ways around them and recognizes that once the law, the book of the law is found, that it has been ignored. And as we consider that, Lord God, we look at ourselves and surely we have to confess to you similar in our own hearts that we have become too contaminated as Christians by the world around us. Forgive us for that, Lord God. And that we have forsaken your word, we have left it, we have ignored your holy scriptures. We do not study it with the vigor and the joy that would be fitting and correct. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us, that you would forgive us, but help us, Lord God. And we also thank you for what we learn in your word of our sin. In that psalm that we have considered as a congregation only this year, where David says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. And so we thank you that in Jesus Christ, that is our testimony. We are white as snow, cleansed by the blood of our Redeemer. And so we thank you and praise you for that. Lord God, we pray for uh, our brothers and sisters across the world living in lands where the Christian faith is not tolerated and it is opposed And we pray specifically for this conference on the persecuted church that is taking place this coming week. Uh, We pray, Lord God, for those involved, the many church leaders in attendance, for the many politicians also from our country in attendance. And we ask, Lord God, as they look and consider increasing opposition to the church, we pray that you would grant them wisdom in how to support Uh, your people. Lord God, we cry out for the persecuted church. Lord, we also come to you with gratitude at this time of jubilee. We must pray for our leaders. And so we pray in particular for the royal family, for the queen. And we thank you, Lord God, for the way in which you have provided stability 
We thank you that there has been, throughout the reign of our Queen, freedom for the Christian Church to worship. And so we thank you that we enjoy that today. We ask that that would continue in the years, decades to come. Lord God, we pray for the royal family more widely. And we pray that for them, there would be a reflection on the gospel. We pray that even at this time of celebration in their lives, that you would use that eh, to turn those who have not looked to Christ. We pray that you would turn them to you in repentance and faith. Lord, we then pray for the wider church in this country. We pray for our denomination. It is again with gratitude that we must pray. We thank you, Lord God, that there is in our denomination seeming unity, but not empty, vacuous unity. Unity around the central tenets of the Christian faith, of your word, of your gospel. And so we thank you for the revitalization work taking place. We thank you for the church planting work. We thank you for the many, many faithful men and women in our denomination who love Jesus and seek to honor your name. And then lastly, we pray for our own congregation and for those who are unwell. We pray for those who are spiritually struggling, for those perhaps this morning who really are wrestling with you, Lord God, struggling in their faith. We ask, Lord God, that you would be good to them today. We pray for those who are struggling with mental health, we ask, Lord God, that today would be a day of relief, a day of thanksgiving for your kindness. And we pray, Lord God, for those who are struggling with their physical health, for Sally Mahler in particular. Lord, we thank you for her recent improvements. We thank you for the apparent success of her operation. But Lord, as a church, we commit her into your hands. Lord God, please. Restore her to full health. Grant her and her family an increased measure of your grace, an increased sense that you are with them through this storm. And we do commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to sing praise to God. Uh, if you don't have a copy uh, of the hymn sheet or if you can't see one please again just raise your hand and we'll try and get one to you uh, we're going to sing uh, the hymn uh, how great is our god i'm gonna have to put a hand up here because i don't have oh no i do uh, the splendor of the king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. Uh, so friends, let's, if we're able, let's stand together uh, to sing uh, these. Hey. Uh, can we calm down a little bit? It's a Presbyterian uh, church that we're gathered in this morning. No, but this is good. You can put your paper away. Let's raise our voices to God in praise. Let's stand and sing. He wraps himself. 
and trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. How great! Before we uh, turn back to the book of Genesis, please join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness to us. A God of uh, benevolence, of grace. Uh, As your people, we quiet ourselves before you, before your throne. We gather, we pause, uh, because you have promised throughout the centuries you will speak to your children and you will speak through the preaching of your word. And so this morning we do still ourselves and we ask, Lord, that as you speak, that you would give us ears to hear, 
that you would give us hearts that are receptive, that you would renew our minds, that we might be changed, that we might not just hear, but we might become doers of your word. And so we pray to you, Lord God, asking you again for grace. Be merciful, Lord, please. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the, this morning, uh, in our time together, we really are just going to take a break from our uh, current sermon series. We're going to take a break uh, from our studies in the story and the life of Joseph. And maybe as you look around the church this morning, you can see the reason why we are doing this. This is a holiday weekend, isn't it? And a time when taking advantage of this platinum jubilee Uh, Some people are visiting the congregation uh, today, but also so many of our own people this morning have taken advantage of the holiday weekend and they've gone to different parts of the country and perhaps even different parts of, uh, of the world. So since so many people are away and we have visitors today, I think it's best that we just press pause on Joseph and do that just for the time being. So we take a break, but then the question becomes, why this, doesn't it? Uh, Why would we be in Genesis again, but why would we go to Genesis chapter 6 and 7? Well, I have chosen this section of scripture today, partly, to be honest, partly because of our familiarity uh, with this text. Uh, Today, as a one-off sermon, you might be relieved uh, to know that I am not going to spend 10 minutes setting the scene I do not need to spend 10 minutes setting the scene this morning because even if it is your very first time darkening the door of a church, I am sure you know at least something of the story of Noah and the ark, Noah and the flood. So that's part of the reason. We're familiar with the background. We can get straight into this text, can't we? Part of the reason. There is, though, I have to say, a better reason for being in the story of Noah. And that is... Christian friends, that we are here in these chapters confronted with some essential, but I think honestly, sometimes overlooked aspects of the Christian faith. Can I say that again? We're confronted in Genesis 6 and 7 with some overlooked areas of Christianity. So I think this morning as we look at this, we will be pushed by God's word to consider more about what it is that you and I have been saved from. And how seldom do we think about that? We will be pushed to consider something of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ as the way of deliverance. We will even, from this text, see something of the future, see something of what lies ahead of us as the people of God. There is so much in this, yes, familiar, but this rich portion of God's word. So, uh, do you have a copy of scripture in front of you? You do, don't you? (laughs) Certainly, uh, this morning, we've given out uh, copies of the Bible. Uh, So, if you're able, please turn with me uh, to to Genesis 6 and 7. Have it there in front of you. And uh, first of all, I want us to contemplate just now and notice here the reality of God's judgment. So let's get right into it. The reality of God's judgment. That's the first thing. Okay. 
Now, uh, uh, often, and you may have noticed this, you may have not, but often uh, when I'm preaching, I will assume a certain level of knowledge of a biblical portion of Scripture. I will assume a, a certain level of knowledge. Now, whether that's right or not, as I've just indicated, I think I'm on safe ground this morning. Uh, we do know uh, something of Noah uh, and the ark, and with the children not having uh, much Sunday school, the boys and girls know something of Noah and the flood, don't we, boys and girls? But here's a thought. What exactly is this that we are dealing with and that we have in front of us just now? Do you see the, the basis for the question? What exactly is this? Isn't it the case that so many people today just assume that what we've got here is a kid's fable? Isn't that how the world views Noah and the ark? And, and other people, and maybe really advanced scholars, they might just see this as, as, a, as a myth, just another in a long, long line of ancient Near Eastern myths. What is this that you have in your hands just now? Well, look, the first thing that we must assert, that I must assert, is that this account is an account of a factual event. I want us to grasp that and hold it tightly. This is the account of a real flood. Now, you may have noticed that in this text, in chapter 7 and verse 11, what God does is he furnishes you with some chronological references. Did you notice that? Almost historical detail. Why is God doing that? What Scripture is doing is presenting this flood to you as an historical event. This is... This is a real flood. That's the first thing. Then I think almost, can I say more importantly than that, I think you and I need to appreciate that what we have this morning here before us, and I don't say this lightly, what we have here is a warning. And it is a warning to us, and it is a warning from God. Now, can I just let that sit there? Do you appreciate that? Do you see it? That what God has done, Genesis 6 and 7, in the very, very early years of creation, let's be honest about it, what God has done is provide a warning for all of the subsequent humanity and all of mankind to come, and God has provided a warning that one day sin will face a full and final judgment. Now, as I say that, let me just read to you what Jesus says of these events. So this is from Matthew's Gospel. Now Jesus here, at this point in Matthew's Gospel, he is looking ahead and he is speaking to his church and he is speaking to us about God's coming judgment. A, a, a momentous moment. What, what does Jesus say? Listen please, he says this, of the final judgment and sin. Jesus says, as in the days of Noah so shall it be on that coming day. Just as it was with Noah's time, so shall it be in the final judgment. So do you see it as a starting point for us at St. Peter's this morning? This devastating flood, this universal flood that we have here, one that lasts 40 days, the scriptural number of testing completion, this is a sign to us, to all of humanity, 
that sin will be punished. Sin will be punished in the end. This is a warning from God. Now, as soon as I say that, I I think, and and I hope you are with me on this, I, I think that we perhaps ought to deal with the most common objection to what I've just said. So we're saying this is a sign of a judgment. So the reality is there is a coming judgment. What's the, what is the most common objection to that? The world screams out, but is that just? Is that right? That people will be judged in the end? Is that fair? Let's deal with that for a moment. And let's deal with it like this. If what we have in our hands just now, it prefigures a final judgment to come, then you can see the obvious question. What do we learn about that coming judgment here in Genesis 6 and 7? If it's prefiguring a final judgment, what do we learn about that right in front of us here just now? Okay, Can I point you to one or two things and make just two sub-points if you allow them? First is this. I want you to appreciate that the people here in Genesis were indeed warned. The people here were warned. Did you, when you were young, uh, did you um, enjoy this story? And did you like Noah and the ark when you were a little kid? Did you like it? I loved it. Absolutely uh, loved it. Growing up at home in Inverness, uh, we had a blue uh, storybook Bible. And I think on the front cover you had a picture of the ark and the animals and as a little boy loved it just loved it just you know every Sunday afternoon looking at the picture of the animals I loved it but at the same time do you know even as a kid I found it quite frustrating to be honest I find it frustrating because I wanted to know whether the people at Noah's time were they aware of the flood I wanted to know like see these people did they know these rains were going to come did they know this flood, was, this flood was at hand? And, yeah, there's lots and lots of details in this portion of Scripture, aren't there? You notice that as Will's reading it out, there's loads and loads of detail. But you can see that we're not really told here. I find that really frustrating. It wasn't until years and years later that I got an answer to this. Because uh, just a bit later, a youth, you know, teenagers, reading through the Bible. And I was reading later on the New Testament in Second Peter. And you can look this up later on this afternoon. But I was reading Second Peter, and I was just kind of blown away. Because in Second Peter chapter 2, God describes Noah. So what, what would you expect the description to be? As this young bloke, I'm expecting it to be that he was a shipbuilder. You know, or Noah was a carpenter, or a joiner, Noah the man, or something like that, right? Now, come on, what does God, how does God describe Noah, 2 Peter 2, he describes him as a herald. Listen, he is described, Noah is described as a preacher. And do you see why that blew my mind? What does that tell us? It tells us, Christian friend, that those people were warned that what God had done was not only delay the judgment now you think about it there's a lot of time that has passed between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 so not only has God delayed crucially this judgment but what else has he done 
In this beautiful act of grace, God has sent this man amongst the people. And what is Noah's task? He has to, to warn them. He has to speak to them. Noah appeals to them to repent and actually be saved. That is a crucial detail for us. These people were warned. Second subpoint: these people were warned too. This punishment was warranted. With great trepidation, I'm going to ask if a verse can be put up on the screen. Chapter 6 and verse 11. Look at that. God's goodness to us, God's grace. Now, have a look if you've got it in front of you or look in the screen. Maybe it's good to have a look in front of you, actually. Because by this stage, if you look down, you'll notice, if you you just look at the beginning of chapter 6... So by this stage, you've already been told about the horrendous sexual immorality that's taking place in the world at this point. You see that at the beginning of chapter 6. But then look look up and, and look at verse 11. Look at this description of the earth at the point of the flood. What are the words? The earth was corrupt in God's sight. Look at its attitude. So it wasn't just violent. It is filled with abuse and brutality. Do, do you see the point that's been made? The world, at the point of the flood, was an absolutely awful place. It was a place where people were acting in evil towards each other. But it was a place where people were acting in evil towards the God who has created them. So I put it to you, if you have this objection, are you still asking, is this flood fair? Are you still asking? If so... I need to turn that problem back to you because I would ask you, what else should the living God do? I mean, do you not recognize that that is, if you have an objection here, that is the moral quandary that you have. You have to wrestle with that. As far as I can see, if God is really good, if he truly is righteous and holy, he has to punish sin, does he not? He has to take action to punish evil. Anything else is God being complicit with these things, this corruption. Anything else is God cooperating with the evil that you are reading about here. Now, at this point, I think, in a way, it's obvious, but we could address an application for you if you are a Christian in the room this morning. Do you see the application here? Like, think about it. Come on. If prior to the flood... Noah's job was to preach righteousness and call for repentance. What what is our role? What is your role, Christian friend, prior to the last and final judgment of God? Should we not be bolder? Is our role not to tell people about the reality of sin? Should we not summon up courage in the Holy Spirit and speak about the consequences of sin? Should we not tell of the fact that there is a deliverance available, a deliverance in Jesus Christ. Yeah, there is application for the Christian. But instead, actually, I want to zero in on those in the room and perhaps listening online who are outside of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, I've got a question for you. So if you're not born again in Christ, can I just ask a simple question? What is it that struck you As Will read the description of the world at the time of the flood. 
Come on. What struck you about that? Can I, can I just give you the detail again? So the world was corrupt. What comes to mind here? Come on. The world was corrupt. The world was sexually immoral. The world was violent. What strikes you about that? Is it not how familiar that seems to us today? I think, honestly, honestly, this morning, you only need for a moment to think about Ukraine. You only need to think about the confusion there is in our society about sexual behavior. Like, you only need to think about some of our politicians. You only need to think about your own heart. And what do you realize? Just as God was right to punish sin here, so God will be right in the end when he meets out judgment on sin. And how grateful you should be this morning. How relieved you should be that right now, today, what happens right now? God delays. He delays today that you might hear this call, repent of your sin, and put your trust in Jesus Christ. We see, although it is not easy, we see the reality here of God's judgment. Second of all, uh, we see the refuge of God's deliverance. Okay, the refuge of God's uh, deliverance. So you might be looking at me and thinking, Andy, it's bleak. It seems really bleak. There is this devastating flood in Genesis 6 and 7 covering the earth. But we know something, don't we, friends? We know that this judgment was not entirely comprehensive, don't we? We know that there was this vessel that is sailing on the waters and it brings deliverance for some. Now, at risk of patronizing the young people, what's it called? This vessel. Is that a ship? Is that a yacht? What is it? Somebody give me it. What is it? Noah and the ark. It's an ark. Now, I'm not patronizing you, boys and girls, because it's a really, really unusual word. I think we need to appreciate that. That it is a word that only makes one other appearance in the whole of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so this word ark, it's, it's used to describe the basket uh, that the little baby Moses was laid in. So the, the idea of the ark, which is crucial for our understanding, is that it is something enclosed, it's something, you know, in tombs. It's, it's a chest-like, coffin-like vessel that we've got here. Now, from the very earliest times, what Christians have been able to do is recognize what this ark represents. And maybe you can see that yourself this morning. That what we've got here, this vessel, it points us to the refuge from God's coming judgment that is found in Jesus Christ. Is everybody with me? So this ark, it points us to the deliverance that is available in Jesus Christ, which is an exciting thing to consider. But what I want to do is just to do as I did a moment ago and and pose a question. If this vessel points us to deliverance in Christ, when we're in Genesis, as we are, you and I today, what are we learning about our salvation? What do you learn about Christ and his deliverance 
from Noah and the ark. Just want to point you to one or two things again, okay? So first, I want you to think about the security of salvation in Christ. Can we, can we look at uh, chapter 6, verse 14? If you have a look, even the boys and girls, if you get a copy of the Bible, look at chapter 6, 14. Now, so we're thinking about how this ark is built. How is it put together? Look at some of the details with me. What is emphasized by God's words? Do you notice? So the ark was made of gopher wood. Does any, do we have gopher wood in our homes? Who knows, right? Most likely, what we're dealing with is cypress. Okay, cypress, which was renowned in the ancient world. Why? For being waterproof. Okay, then what else are we told? Notice how the ark is sealed. So we see how it's built. Notice how it's sealed. It's covered, not just on the outside, but it's covered inside and outside with pitch. So it's absolutely, there ain't no water getting in. It is absolutely secure from the elements. And then, oh, I love this so much. This is best of all, surely. If we can go right through to 7, verse 16. Turn the page if you need to. Chapter 7, verse 16. So how is the ark closed? Come on, you've got to love it with me. Don't you see? How is it closed? The hand of the Almighty God closes the, the hand of the Lord shut them in. Friends, do you see? Do you see? Surely you do. Why it is that we as Christians can rejoice today? As this vessel sailed entirely safe on the waters of judgment, you are secure forever in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you see the security you have? Do you realize that for you in Christ Jesus, the hand of Almighty God has shut you in? You are secure. So we see security. Two, I want you to think about the scale of this ark. I'm, I'm um, pretty confident that uh, most of you, if you have been in churches for any length of time, you've probably heard this portion of scripture preached on before, have you? I mean, it's probably a familiar portion of scripture for a minister to get to. You've, you've heard Noah uh, and his ark, not just in Sunday school, but here in the church service, you've heard it uh, preached on. So I also imagine at these points where a minister has dealt with this portion, what they've done, the minister has confronted you with the dimensions of the ark. But even if you've heard that before, would you contemplate that again for a moment? What I am so keen for you to appreciate, what you probably already know, is that the ark was massive. <laughs> the ark was enormous. Like we are talking about football pitch football stadium size dimensions. We are talking about aircraft carrier scale water displacement. This thing was huge. If I ask you, why is that? You say to me, maybe the animals, I mean, you know, it has to be, it has to be large. But do you not see as well spiritual significance in this? The ark was huge. I love you not to doubt this, that today there is room for you in Christ's salvation. Today the door is open to you. 
No matter who you are. Now listen, no matter what your life is like, no matter what it is that you have done, there is space, a plenty for you. The door is open. There is room for you in the deliverance of God. We see security. We see scale. And the third of these, the singularity of Christ's salvation. A few years ago, now you'll have to excuse me if I've mentioned this before and I bore you, you will excuse me, I'm sure. But a few years ago, uh, Catherine and myself, my wife and I and the kids, we had the holiday accommodation of a lifetime. Okay, so we are Francophiles. We like going to France as a family, uh, largely because it's cheap. And then when we go to France, uh, if we're by ourselves, the holiday accommodation you could describe as being basic. So you, you know what happens. You go on the website and it's described as being rustic. <laughs> Where it should say rough, shouldn't it? That's, that's the usual state of affairs. Not this time. Not this time. We managed to secure somehow, with help maybe, uh, a little flat but it was a flat overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. So it just perched on the water. And there were too many mosquitoes, weren't there? Yeah, too many mosquitoes. But you can imagine it, first thing in the morning, you get up, you open the curtain, you roll down the blinds, and what a view! Just see! It was just amazing to, to look at this. Now, what struck me most about that and I remember, and we talked about it at the time, was how incredibly busy the Mediterranean was. I was not prepared for that at all. But the summer months, you look out, and it was hoaching. Absolutely hoaching. Okay, if you're visiting from another part of the UK, somebody else will interpret hoaching for you later on. But it was incredibly busy. So you have got tankers, a plethora of tankers back and forth, then you've got the cruise liners, don't you? Then you've got the Russian oligarchs and their massive yachts. Then the fishing trawlers. Then you've got the kayaks and the canoes and all that. It was just full. The sea was full. And as in your mind's eye, you think about Genesis chapter 6 and 7. Isn't it striking that it was not like that on the floodwaters of judgment. Isn't it striking to consider that there were not a plethora of vessels? Isn't it striking that God provided one, one ark of deliverance, and then I need you to think about the door. Have you ever noticed this? that there is only one door on the ark. Now, isn't that unusual? Isn't that, in a sense, kind of perplexing? Think about the ark and the way that it's put together. There is a multitude of everything else. <laughs> There's a plethora of everything else. So you've got innumerable decks on the ark. You have got, I don't know how many rooms you've got in the ark, but there's loads of rooms. And yet, think about the story. Yet there has to be so much access in, so much stuff has to get into the ark, and yet God has insisted there be one point of access 
to this one vessel of deliverance. Do you not hear what God is declaring from his word? Friend, please be assured that there is but one way of salvation today. There is but one way of deliverance from this judgment that is to come. And, and yet it may be that this morning you're in this place and you're confused by that. You come in here and you're asking, but how do we know that? I mean, this church, what do we say? We say it is Jesus. He is the only way in. He is the vessel of deliverance. And perhaps you're asking, but how can we know? If you don't, you must hear this morning what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says to you in John chapter 10. Because you may doubt that Jesus is the way in. And he says to you, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Friends, see that there is one vessel. See that there is but one door. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third and last detail. We've seen the reality of God's judgment, but a refuge of God's deliverance Third, the rewards of God's grace. Very briefly, the rewards of God's grace. Uh, hopefully you agree that this is truly wonderful. That we come to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and yet in the ark, we are pointed by, G uh, by God to Jesus Christ. It's wonderful, isn't it? The ark foreshadowing our Lord and Savior. I think there is, though, an inherent danger here. I think it's so beautiful that the ark, this vessel, points us to Christ, that what we could do, you and I, is we could miss another critical, redemptive thread that we've got in this portion of Scripture. And it is this, that it's not just a vessel, but it is actually the main protagonist that takes you and pushes you to Jesus. Now, did everyone get that? It's not just the ark. But Noah himself is being used by God to take you to the feet of Jesus. I want to show you that very briefly. So let's put up on the screen uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Or look at it with me. Chapter 6, verse 9. Now here is a description of this man. Here is Noah. What do you, what do you notice? I mean, you think about it. The description of the world. Noah is put before you as somebody unique and different. Isn't that right? He's different to anybody else that's on the world. Look at, look at this detail here. He's righteous. He's blameless. Surely foreshadowing the sinlessness of Christ. He's the one who walks with whom? With the Lord, just as the Son walks in harmony with the Father. What else have you got? Noah's in covenant with God, just as Jesus has fulfilled for you the stipulations of the new covenant. And you must have noted that it is Noah who enables his family to be aboard the ark, just as Jesus Christ rescues all who are identified with him. Do you get the essential point? Do you? It's not just the ark. Noah here is pushing you to consider Jesus Christ this morning. But as we close, I just want you to, to note with me where it is that this man will lead us. Um, about three, four years ago, I was out a walk uh, when we were living in London, and I was out a walk with uh, my two daughters. 
So let's say three, four years ago, so they're much younger than they, they were now. I have cleared this. I have cleared it. And I'm allowed to do this today. Uh, but I was out a walk uh, with the girls. If, if you have, uh, in your time, been out a walk with two little kids, you know this, that they ask a lot of questions when you go out a walk with them. Now, with the girls at that time, and even now, it was questions about dogs all the time. Dad, can we get a dog? No. Dad, if we were to get a dog, what sort of dog would we get? We're not getting a dog. Dad, what colour of dog would you like? So that was the usual, usual. But on this occasion, we're walking through Epping Forest, and the girls started asking questions about heaven out of the blue. They asked, Dad, where is heaven? And then they asked, Dad, what is heaven like? Isn't that a great question? Because even as Christians, don't we fall into getting that wrong? Okay, you and I know we're not going to be in a cloud playing a harp, I hope. It's not gonna, it's not, that's not going to be what it is. Okay, we know that. But is it not the case that so often we have too ethereal, too elevated a view of what is coming to the people of God and what our future looks like? Eighty fairy up there. And then you come to Genesis 6 and 7. And I'm asking you, what are you shown here? What is the great parallel here? Listen, like Noah's family, you and I are being led by the man of righteousness to a beautifully renewed earth. That is what lies ahead of you and me in Jesus Christ. Like Noah's family, being led to a beautifully renewed heavens and our God's plan is to rescue us from this judgment. But God's plan is so much better for us. He is going to set your feet on a beautiful and perfect land. Isaiah 65, behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> Revelation 21, now I saw a new heaven, a new earth. Listen, please, just as Noah would step forth from his enclosed tomb-like ark, what is true of your Savior? He has stepped forth from being entombed, living, risen, but Christ Jesus has stepped forth as the first fruits of a new creation. Just as Noah here, you can see that he's a type of second Adam. Can you? With three named sons, dominion over the animals. What is true of Jesus Christ? On that last day, he will be revealed as the one who has dominion over everything. He will be seen as the one, Hebrews affirms, who is bringing sons to glory do you see it God is saving you God is saving you you will be safe and secure in Christ when that judgment comes but it is greater it is better it is more 
You are going by Jesus Christ to a new and perfect home. And so I appeal to you, if you're a Christian, is it not time to lift your gaze? Is it not? Let us not be consumed by bickering, by fighting. Let's not be consumed by the present troubles of our lives. Instead, we've raised our gaze to the horizon. We see what is coming to us in Christ. And if you are not a Christian, does this not give you pause for thought? Oh, I, I ask you, if you're not a Christian, where are you going to be when the rains come? Where are you going to be when God's judgment comes. This morning, surely on bended knee, you make right with Christ. And surely you come to Jesus Christ and you take refuge in him. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are thankful that as helpful as our technology can be, we are not dependent upon these things for intimacy with you. We are not dependent on these things in order to worship you. We thank you that all is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray, Lord God, first for us as Christians. Lord God, help us to tell those in our lives of the reality and consequences of sin and the beauty of salvation in Christ. But then we pray, Lord, please have mercy on those in this room who are outside of Christ today. Have mercy. Make yourself known. Bring them into the ark and close the door behind them. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. We're going to close singing praise to God. And we're going to sing uh, the hymn, His Mercy is More. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. If you're able, let us stand together and let's sing praise to God.